We're in Luke chapter 2. I want to get down to actually start at verse 21, which seems to be in the way our Bibles are laid out, a a division that the verse goes with uh, prior to the next one beginning in verse 22, but I don't think so. I think we need it. So let me begin with verse 21, Luke chapter 2. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and his man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that (coughs) thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, when, from whence she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And we'll stop there. We're looking at what I like to think of as lessons from lesser-known saints. How often do you think of these two people, uh, Simeon and Anna? And as is uh, Luke's habit, he often presents people in pairs. And as we said when we began our study of Luke, he does not overlook women, but gives them a prominent place in his story. And here... Uh, In this story, given to Theophilus and to us, he gives us two more people, this man, Simeon, this woman, Anna. You remember he gave us the perspective of Mary and Elizabeth. He gave us the perspective of Zacharias and John the Baptist. Now he gives us a perspective from uh, Simeon and this woman, Anna. (laughs) Let me give you a little bit of background as we get into this, you remember what we talked about before. The 400-year time of passing 
from the end of the Old Testament to the New when there was not a prophet per se. And then we have this man, Zacharias, given a prophecy. We have his son, John the Baptist, coming. Well, we're, here we have other prophetic words as well. One of the things that we're setting the stage for is this presentation of the viewpoint of Simeon and Anna. What's taking place here? And that's why we go back to verse 21. Jesus has been born, and as was the custom at the end of eight days, he was to be circumcised. Custom based on scripture back in the book of Leviticus, not pure uh, man-made custom. But they brought him forth. This is a testimony to Joseph and Mary as holy parents presenting their child in accordance with the scripture. And he was called Jesus. Amen, right? Gabriel in book of uh, the first chapter of this book said his name shall be that. And if you look in Matthew chapter one, an angel came to the father, Joseph, and said the same thing. He'll be named Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's what's taken place here. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. What a blessing his. Hebrews chapter two, we read this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This is the background we have here. He is being made like his brothers, like you and I in the flesh. And praise God, his, Jesus' mother and father, Mary and Joseph, are following the scriptures, being faithful, holy parents. This would have been uh, commendable even if their son wasn't Jesus, but he was. And that's what's, it's important we uh, <coughs> understand that what's taking place here, why is he being presented? Why is he being circumcised? If he's going to be our representative, he has to show fulfillment of God's law in every respect. And not to be circumcised would be on omission against the law of God as presented way back in the book of Leviticus. <coughs> That's not going to happen. It's very interesting. Jesus who knew no sin in his life, voluntar voluntarily was placed under the law. He didn't have to. He wasn't a sinner. This wasn't part of his <laughs> heavenly uh, persona. But now he's willing to do that to fulfill the obligation of his people, you, me. He willingly did this. Here's how Galatians 4 puts it. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so he was circumcised. Nowadays, it's not a eight day down the road ceremony. Our children are circumcised before they leave the hospital. But this was an important part of the Jewish Law, this, what, do, what does this do? What does this tell you about a person? This act of circumcision. He's part of the covenant. Absolutely. Jesus is our representative. This was a demonstration that this person, this young child was being 
signified as being part of the covenant community. That was very important. Can you imagine what would have happened in Jesus' ministry if he hadn't been circumcised? You say, well, that's kind of short-sighted. No. If Jesus hadn't been circumcised and the Jews knew about it, do you think he would have been given the place that he had in the synagogue to teach? I don't think so. He would not be looked upon the same way. He was fulfilling the covenant obligations of, of uh, Genesis. Let me go all the way back to Genesis chapter 17. And if you know anything about the covenant, Genesis 17, who are we going to look at? Yeah, Abraham. Very good. Genesis 17, we read these words. In speaking to Abraham, it says, God said to him, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. You understand that included Jesus Christ, right? This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And he goes on to draw that out a little bit. That's part of what's taking place here in this verse here that we read in, in Luke chapter 2. In other words, we have a kosher savior, if you will. He is following the covenant. He is accepted in this community. So they don't have this to hold against him when he stands up to teach. He submitted to it. Isn't this interesting? Now, I know I'm reaching a little bit. This is part of my background as an English major in college, but uh, Jesus is shedding his blood here in this act of circumcision. And it makes you think, doesn't it, of the shedding of his blood on the cross. This is the story of his humanly speaking life, the shedding of his life blood. Please look at the high esteem his parents had for the law. We're going to look at that when we get past this, verse 21. Let me just throw, well, five of them at you. Verse 22. When the time came for their purification, according to what? The law of Moses. Verse 23. As it is written in what? The law of the Lord. Go down to verse 24. They brought a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Verse 27, again, we read there. And he came in the spirit of the temple and they did this for him according to the custom of the law. And then one more time, verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. This is emphasis here that Luke points out in his giving us this uh, history of this situation. He was going to be fulfilling the law and everything about this situation here with Simeon and Anna is as well in accordance with the law. How perfect he's fulfilling here the words in Galatians 4.4. He was born under the law. This was important. It was important. Well, not only did this happen, he was brought here. But as was customary, he was given his name at this place, at this time. He was called Jesus. It was customary to do this as a circumcision. What does Jesus mean? 
Yeah. Savior. Savior. He will be called Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is a derivative, of, if you will, of Joshua in the Old Testament, which means what? Yahweh saves. We go back to that and Jesus is now in the New Testament, that Yahweh, that God who is saved. He is presented at the temple. Look at verses 22 to 24. We read this. He's presented here. What's taking place? A purification is taking place. Let me put in here an ellipsis, if you will. It is likely that after verse 21, Joseph and Mary took him back to their home because you'll see from the Old Testament, there had to be a period of time lapse in between what's taken place there in 21 and what's going to take place in verses 22 and following. Why do I say that? Well, you can go all the way back to Leviticus, and I'll turn there. You're welcome to in, verse, in chapter 12. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, If a woman conceives and bear a, bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. Okay, so we can't have this thing with the circumcision and, and the naming right away. We're going to wait eight days. As at the time of her menstruation, she, be, she shall be unclean. But on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. And then doesn't apply here to Jesus, but if she has a female child, she shall be unclean two weeks. So we have this passing of 33 days that has to take place here for purification. This is according, according to the Old Testament law. So we have, I think, possibly a period of approximately 40 days between the circumcision and coming back for his presentation at the temple. Now they probably would have gone home there's nothing to say they stayed in Jerusalem and then returned again. And some commentators speculate it's at this point in time that the Magi came to see the Savior in this intermission between circumcision and then the purification. I don't know. I can't prove that, but it's interesting and it's uh, something to consider. So five weeks later now, they come back. And when the time of their purification, that's a plural, right? <laughs> Who are we talking about? Pardon? Mary and, Mary and Joseph. Some people might want to think of Jesus as being part of that, but it's not. It's Mary and Joseph. Mary, of course, because of delivering this child and all that's involved with that. Joseph, because he's part of that union and the head of this house, he had to be purified as well. And so they take care of this. It was the time of their purification, as we said, according to the law of Moses. And they bring this Savior, Jesus, back up to Jerusalem. They didn't drop this off and forget about it. In the Old Testament, you remember, what was the requirement for the firstborn? Do you remember? 
the firstborn of your children was to be presented to the Lord. And in the Old Testament, it was also true of your animals. The firstborn would be given to the Lord. You would turn it over to him. It was a presentation by the Old Testament decree, and that's what's going on here too. This firstborn, beyond that, we have also, they brought him up as it is written in the law. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That's what this Jesus is. This firstborn of Mary and Joseph. And along with that, they were offered a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. There were two things she's bringing, right? Two animals. What do we know about the fact that she brings here a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons? What does that say about Mary and Joseph's status? They were poor. There was no lamb offered in their sacrifice. All they could give was two turtle doves or pigeons. This sacrifice, what, what's involved with these two? One of these sacrifices is for what? One's an aroma, pleasing aroma to the Lord. What's the other one for? It's for sin. Do you see the, the irony of this? Mary and Joseph are coming to offer a sacrifice. And what's in, who's involved is the one who knew no sin. What a declaration this is. Because he was to be sin for us so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. What a story this is going on here. So much more than we often look at on the surface. So these obedient holy parents, Mary and Joseph, bring the two animals to be sacrificed. They were poor, and so they offered what they could, a poor offering. That's the background of what's going on here. And now we come to the first of our two lesser-known saints from whom we can gather important lessons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Oh, by the way, do you have any questions or comments about what we just read? What's going on here with the sacrifice and the circumcision and the naming of Christ? Oh, yes. 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 Yes, it would be after this. And uh, it would be, if we were studying Matthew, we would touch on that. We won't in this particular part of Luke. But yes. So we have this time in Israel. We have the end of the intertestament period between the last prophet, Malachi, and the Gospels. What's going on in Israel? This land was just torn apart in some, in some ways. Idolatry and apostasy were rampant in many cases. The men who may have been working here in the temple at the time of Christ's sacrificial coming could have been Sadducees who didn't even believe in the resurrection and other things. The political situation, many Israelites are still in exile in places like Persia and Greece and Egypt. And even now, 
who are these people politically under? They're under the thumb of Rome, Roman rule. It's not a great time in Israel. And as we said, and we began to study in Luke, they were looking for deliverance. And we have that at the end of our uh, portion here, looking for the consolation of Israel. Some people were looking for that, and we'll get into that. Some were expecting. They were waiting on God. Many of them, almost all of them, however, were waiting on God to deliver them politically. Uh, maybe that's lessons for us in the United States today. <laughs> Some of us might be waiting for God to deliver us politically. Maybe we need to change our focus a, a little bit. They were waiting on God to fulfill his covenant promises to Abraham that through him the nation would be blessed. They were waiting on their Messiah. 400 years of prophetic silence from Malachi all the way up to John the Baptist with some isolated incidences of other prophetic utterances. And now we have the birth of Jesus Christ. He has come. He's been born, circumcised, given this name. His mother's been cleansed. Father's been cleansed. They're presenting him to the temple. What a, what a blessing this is. They're doing this in Jerusalem, the place of the sacrifice, the place they're presenting the Holy One of Israel. And Simeon is here in the picture. Who is he? This is the only place in Scripture that this man is mentioned. There, the name Simeon is in a number of other places all the way back to Genesis. But this particular man is mentioned here and nowhere else. What does it say about him? What does it say? He knew the Scripture. He did know the Scripture. How is he characterized? There are two adjectives here. <laughs> Righteous and devout. Are these the same thing? No, they are not. What they're talking about is Simeon standing before God and men. He is declared righteous and he's a devout believer. He knew the scriptures. He had studied them. And not only had he studied them, he believed them. And he acts like he believes them. He's standing around here and looking for what the nation has been praying for for 400 years. Do you ever feel like giving up when you pray for something? I don't know if you keep a prayer log, but it's interesting if you do to track things and when you see the answer. And this man had been tracking this for a long time, waiting for the consolation of Israel. This wasn't a light thing. This wasn't waiting for a splinter to be removed or for money to pay your next bill, as seriously as those things are. But he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was not only waiting, but he was a justified and sanctified man here. He was declared righteous. He was devoted to what he was doing. He's called a devout man. It's interesting to listen to the testimonies of those uh, who have just recently passed here in our midst, and to think of them. And uh, you can't help but think of those who have left us in these kind of terms. What a glorious Christian they were in, a, in their own particular walk in this life, but a testimony to God. 
God has his people in dark times. We have a dark time in our country, but God's people are still here. We gain hope from that. This is a very dark time in Israel, but God is not left without witnesses. And here in the midst of this religion that is many times false is this righteous and devout believer who knew the scriptures and was waiting for the fulfillment of what he knew. In Acts chapter 2, there's a declaration that there are devout Jews in Jerusalem. (laughs) He is one of them here. It's interesting, they're in Jerusalem and not Bethlehem when we read about this, waiting for the consolation. Tough times. Who's in, in power? A guy named Herod who doesn't have much sympathy for those believers. Many of them are political prisoners to some degree. There are legalistic scribes and Pharisees around, worldly-minded Sadducees, no real prophet. Even in dark times, God has a witness. Go back to the Old Testament. Who did God have in Sodom? Lot. He wasn't the best witness, but he was a true believer. Who did God have in Babylon among the prophets? Daniel. Amen. Yeah. All right, you better get this one. Who did God have in in Zedek's court? Just rewind the sermon from this morning. He had Jeremiah there in a dark time. You listen to Pastor Philip's sermons, you know how dark it is in the description he gives of reading the scriptures. And then think of the the word to the other prophet who went and, oh, woe is me. Said, cheer up, Elijah. I have several hundred other people. God has a witness in dark times. Will you be one? He's not a man of high position, this man, Simeon, but he is a flesh and blood example of those to whom Christ has come. What a testimony this is. What does it say beyond that? The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, I don't know, this isn't the same idea, I don't think, as we see in Acts where we see the Spirit coming and indwelling these people. But God had put the Spirit on him. As we see examples of that in the Old Testament, we have an example of that here. (laughs) This was before Pentecost, but God was dealing with him in this special way. How he knew to be here and at this time and how he would know that this was the Christ that was the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm convinced. You know, today we think we know it all. We have all this revelation of everything that's passed by. There are so many things that God has yet to talk to us about, to reveal to us. Uh, and many people today think they don't need anybody. They don't need God. You know, our brother here probably finds that out weekly, downtown Greenville. Uh, oh, I'm okay. I'm all right. We have a man of faith. We know his character. We see he's a genuine son of Abraham believing Old Testament prophecy. God led him by his Holy Spirit to this time and place. And he came, verse 27, past this, in the spirit into the temple. He's coming the right way. He'd been waiting for this messianic deliverance. He had some revelation. How? We don't exactly have it shown to us. We're not sure, but he has a timely revelation. 
the Messiah has been born. <coughs> let's go see him. Or at least let me go see him. And <coughs> for whatever reason, he was constantly before God. It says he was devout. He was about his duties. He had experience being here at the temple looking for this one. How expectantly do you look for the second coming of Jesus Christ? How expectantly do I look? How do we live then in light of that? Well, then we have the song of Simeon in verses 29 to 32. One of about five that we've had so far in Luke. Different songs of praise. And he fits into that category. He is told to wait for the Messiah. And look what he says. It says, <clears throat> verse 26, he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Two names for Jesus here. What does that say? What does Christ mean? Messiah. The Messiah. He had that name. What is Lord? This is the sovereign God. He knew who it was he was looking for, the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, God coming. <laughs> Profound answer here. And if we had time, we could look up all the verses from, you know, some of them in Psalm 2 and Psalm 45, in Isaiah 61. And later we'll see this in Luke chapter 4. He was looking for the anointed one. How would he know this? Well, we know the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's how he would know. And now, look at verse 29, his response to all this. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I'm not convinced that means he's going to die right then. <laughs> but what he had been promised had been fulfilled. And it's like, oh, I can go now. I've seen this. This is what I've been waiting for. And I imagine he left the temple with a spring in his step, don't you? <laughs> and he told everybody. Well, I don't have clear evidence of that, but we do have evidence of that in the life of Anna. He had waited. He had obeyed. He had been heard and had lived to see this. How calm a believer can be facing death. He said, now I'm ready. You know, I think somebody, Pastor Phillips, I think, recently said this. Somebody asked him what it was like at this point. He told them he had no idea. He hadn't gone through it yet. You may have that opportunity sometime to see what it's like for somebody to face death, especially a believer. I have on a number of occasions. It's very interesting. It's very revelatory to see the different reactions of people. I uh, had a friend in high school, an older woman. At that time, I was about 18, and she was in her 40s. And, uh, we had the Christian experience together, and she, is, is it okay for me to ask God to take me? How expectant was she? I'm asking him to come get me. I, she might have been 50, I don't know. It's one of those questions you never ask, right? She might have been as old as 50, but she was dealing with cancer, and wanted to know, is it all right for me to ask the Lord to take me? Former member here who died at the age of 101, Henry Montgomery, 
used to visit him and he used to say, I don't know why I'm still here, Dennis. I'm ready to go. Why am I still here? Is that, that's kind of like what we have here in a real life situation. I had a grandmother like that. She prayed for the Lord to take her. He was now ready to go. What made him ready? How could he say he was ready? Pardon? He saw the fulfillment. He saw the Messiah. The only way we'll be ready is to have that relationship with our Savior. Walking in obedience, being as it were righteous and devout, it's a lesson for us. It is by faith. You see his focus. He was constantly there looking. You know, I, I'm retired, been retired for three years now. <laughs> it's very interesting to step into retirement. It's scary in some ways. Of course, one of the questions comes up, what are you going to do with your time? And I've been asked that recently by people who are anticipating retirement. What am I going to do? Well, here's a clue. Get to the house of God every time you can. Like this man, like this woman, Anna, that we're going to look at. There's where you start. You want to know what to do with your free time? Give it to the Lord. Seek him at every turn. That's part of what is involved here. He saw the salvation. It made him ready. Only this infant baby, but he saw the Messiah. What faith? What faith? You know, some of us would say, if I had the things they had in the Old Testament, I'd believe too. I want to say poppycock, <laughs> you know. There were people in the New Testament that saw him and still did not believe. This man did believe. And look what he says. He is giving a prophecy here. He is talking about Jesus, this Messiah. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Wow. This is different. This is new. This is in addition, in addition to what Zechariah had heard and said. He was a light to who? The Gentiles. We ought to praise God for that verse in Scripture. I look around here, I, most of us, if not all of us, fit that category. And he was giving this prophecy. What a word it is. <laughs> the heathen would see the glory of Israel when some of them did not see it. And you have an expounding uh, example of that in, in Acts. This is echoes of Isaiah. For unto you is born, so on and so forth. This one who will be a light to the Gentiles. We have this prophecy for Joseph and Mary. This one is a light, <coughs> a revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to the people of Israel. Think what Mary and Joseph had already had. They'd already had Gabriel come to them. They had the shepherds and the angels to draw upon. They had the testimony of Elizabeth. And now they have this here about their son. What a blessing this must have been. And then we go on. They marveled at this. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Bless them and they marveled at this. Simeon blessed them. He said to Mary, his mother, 
Uh, wait a minute, I got another prophecy. And you might not like this one, but let me tell you what it's about. And God is wise in doing these things, even if we don't understand them. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Why would he say that? Because it's true. To what extent, Roger? What do you mean? Well, What's this rise and fall mean? Yes. Um, well, the rising would be, uh, I guess, the salvation. Yes. There are some that are going to believe this. There are some. And the fall would be those who don't. And many of them are going to be evident. We see that when we see Palm Sunday. All this hallelujah, the laying down of palms, the welcoming of the Messiah in human definition. And then it turns, and then it turns 180 degrees. This sign, well, what does this mean to her? It means what we were just saying for the people of Israel, but it also means this. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. He is going to be called the man of sorrows. What a name. For the Son of God who came. Man of sorrows. <laughs> There's going to be a people who agree in nothing else but opposition to Christ. There are people like that all around us today. <laughs> you know, in fantasizing one time, I was thinking, where, I, where could I move with my family with the rottenness that's apparent in America? And then you check off the countries. <laughs> no. No, no. The world is united in opposition to righteousness. And that's what's going to be proclaimed here. That's what's being said. It's why Jesus is called a stumbling block. People are going to trip over this truth. It's going to be awful. And besides that, Mary, you're going to see him pierced with a sword. Uh, one of the commentators I read this isn't one of those little things uh, that you uh, do battle with in the gymnasium. You know, This is a broad sword that is run through to impale somebody, as it were. This is what the world is going to say about this one who's coming, this stumbling block. First, interesting, Luke is the first of all the Gospels to predict this blessing to the Gentiles. Of course, Matthew's very concerned about the Jewish nation in writing his gospel. But Luke goes into detail, and what a revelation is given here. This Savior is coming to the Gentiles too, and we say hallelujah that he did. Well, that's the end of his uh, prophecy here. Let me just read to you as we end here. Uh, T.S. Eliot was a 19th century poet. I never greatly appreciated him because I appreciate rhyme <laughs> and he doesn't do that much. But he writes as a believer with some insight and he wrote about this, about this Jesus. My life is light waiting for the death wind like a feather on the back of my hand. Dust in sunlight and memory in corners wait for the wind that chills toward the dead land. 
Now at this birth season of decrease, decease, let the infant, the still, unspeaking and unspoken word, grant Israel's consolation to one who has 80 years and no tomorrow. I am tired with my own life and the lives of those after me. Let thy servant depart, having seen thy salvation. Uh, that's a believer, T.S. Eliot, even if he didn't say it the way I greatly appreciate. Truths there, wonderful truths. Well, we didn't get to the second person with lessons for us. Lord willing, we get to Anna next week. Yes, ma'am. That's the comment uh, you just mentioned that Luke was the first to predict that Jesus would come to the Gentiles as well. Yes. We're, we've been studying Acts, and that's a, apparently written by Luke. Yes. Yes, amen. That's a good point. Yes, thank you. Very good point. You really see it explode then, don't you? You get to where is it? Uh, can't remember chapter 9 and 10 when Peter has this vision of the nasty animals that he'll have nothing to do with. God calls him up short and says, wait a minute. <laughs> again, we thank God that the gospel's for all of us. Mr. Doug, could I ask you to dismiss us in prayer? Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for all your many blessings. And thank you for Dennis and his preparation of his teaching. And just pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless him and us through his, his studies. And Lord, we do thank you for this study that we have about Jesus, the, the child that was born to die so that we might have salvation through him. And we do thank you for salvation and the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior for our sins. And Lord, do go with us now for the, those that are going to next service and thank you for the blessing of those who have gone to the first one. Just pray that you would watch over us and keep us in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Appreciate it.